You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. My special guest today is New York Times bestselling author, Susan Wilson. And Susan's going to be here talking about her latest book, The Dog Who Saved Me. So uh, I know we've got a lot of big fans of Susan's out there, and we can't wait to learn a little bit more about the book. And we're also going to delve into a little bit about her overall writing styles and challenges and things of this sort us writers always go through. So it's going to be fun and exciting. Everybody hang tight. We'll come back after these messages to talk to Susan Wilson. You're listening to Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Listen, cat people, it's just litter. Until you realize those big boxes mean big smells, big messes, and big money. Switch to World's Best Cat Litter, the only litter with concentrated power. It guarantees less smells, less work, all with less litter. Try the small bag that lasts one cat 30 days and you'll realize it's just litter. Unless it's World's Best Cat Litter. Find it at Target, Walmart, and at your local grocery and pet stores. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Joining me now is author Susan Wilson and talking to us about her latest book, The Dog Who Saved Me. Susan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me again. I think this makes the third time, which yeah. is wonderful. I'm, that- I do so appreciate your interest. Oh, we love having you on the show. We appreciate it very much. And third time's a charm. So uh, maybe I'll hit you with some extra hard questions. You Ooh. never know. Be careful. No. <laughs> no, we try to have, make it as easy as possible out there. That's the way we like it. And I'm sure that's the way everybody likes it. So Exactly. So tell us about the latest book, The Dog Who Saved Me. Well, it is, it's actually a story about a man who has moved as far away from his past as he can get. He comes from a small town. His father was known as the town drunk. His brother is a felon, a drug dealer. And he has taken another path entirely and become a Boston police officer and a canine handler. And when we meet him, his name is Cooper Harrison. When we meet Cooper, he is in a depression and really post-traumatic stress because of a tragedy where he has lost his best friend, his dog, Argus, and he, even though it's been about six months, is really unable to pull himself out of the funk that he is in, and so he, he loses everything, really. He, he gives up his job. He, his wife has had it with him. She's been pushed to the wall, really, mm-hmm. and he is suddenly given a, an offer of a position back in his hometown of Harmony Farms, which is a fictional town somewhere in Massachusetts. 
and this is the job offer is that of animal control officer, <clears throat> which he resists. He resists three times, and finally he realizes that he needs to do this. So he goes home. So it is return of the natives. He goes home thinking that he will have nothing to do with his father. He will have nothing to do with his brother, who is at the, when, the time when he comes home is still incarcerated. And the story is really learning to, you know, to forgive and be forgiven. And along the course of the way, as the animal control officer, he encounters a yellow dog who has gone feral, who has had its own trauma and his own, he's a very panicked animal, and he's been living wild, and Cooper realizes as winter begins to come on that he needs to get this dog to to find him and to get him out of the woods and to save him. And it becomes his quest. He even refers to it as his Ahab-like quest to get this dog back and bring him to safety. So, um, and that it, in, a, in and of itself is actually a metaphor for himself, but that's the nutshell. There you go. So and I'm, it's packed full of uh, life lessons. I, I do know that. I wanted to ask you about the, the books in general. How did you come up with this book? Because obviously each of your books, you know, we, we have dogs in each of the books. That right. makes it a winner. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> But how do you sit back? Because they are all, each one of them are standalone books. You know, they each one, you could pick it, this one up compared to uh, one of your earlier novels. It would still read the same. It wouldn't be necessarily a building block like you're missing out on something. So how do you go about coming up with that type of idea? Is it an epiphany? Is it something building upon, um, talking with the editors? How does that work? A little bit of all of that, I have to say. For this particular one, I always... I live in a small town myself, in a small place, and to me, the animal control officers are much more than the old, you know, the idea of the dog catcher or, mm-hmm. or any of that. I mean, these people work really hard, and they get not a lot of respect, and some, some of the things that they have to do and some of the people they have to deal with are very difficult, and I thought, you know, that it's really a cool job in its own way. And it is, it's under the radar because you never, you know, everybody says, oh, the dog catcher got me. I didn't license my dog. But in fact, these people are providing a service that is really um, in some ways very heroic. So I really kind of wanted to pursue that. And I will say that my agent actually was a little bit hesitant about this because her feeling was dog catcher. You know, kind mm-hmm. of, these are, these are, you know, tough people. And I said, no, 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 it's really, you got to think about it. You really have to see that, you know, these people put themselves on the line. They get between very angry people. They sometimes have to do very difficult things and all of that. And I really felt that, you know, Cooper thinks the same as my agent did, that you know, this is this is just a, a podunk job. This is just rescuing, you know, cats out of trees and all that. <laughs> and he learns very early on that it really isn't about the animals. It's about the people and the animals. So that was what was the story that was in the back of my mind, was kind of giving these really unsung heroes a story. I mean, I've read certainly memoirs of animal control people, and I've certainly watched it on TV, but this was personal. It was, um, you know, just giving this fictional character the realization that this was a good job in the end. Although, I will say this, he does not stay with it, but that's telling you the story. Quiet, <laughs> <laughs> Susan. <laughs> part, part of Cooper's problem is that he refuses to go back to his original job because right. he's so traumatized by what happened. And so he has to heal from that as well as his physical injuries and all of that. So I don't know if that answers the question. But it no, was, absolutely. They, they, absolutely. Evolve, they evolve with you know, trigger 
suggestions and all that kind of a thing. And it's um, it's kind of the mystery of writing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And that's the thing I'm always fascinated about because, you know, uh, I know for me, I come up with what I think are great ideas at the time. And I jot them down in my journal and I jot down maybe even a sample, you know, uh, title or something and, and start to put it together. And unfortunately, I'm the type of writer that I like to present it to my publishing house before I actually think it through. And fortunately, they're kind enough to say, well, that's really nice, Tim, but no. <laughs> Go back to the drawing board. Give me another one. What else you got on the show? That's part of it. But that's part of the journey. I mean, I certainly have that. I mean, I, I run some ideas. I and mean, they always, they're always polite. Well, yeah, maybe. But once you hit that idea and you are working with a good editor and a good agent, then you tease it out. You tease it out. And they'll say, well, give me a synopsis. And that's when you begin to get the, the meat into it. And as you know, as you write these things, the discovery happens as you go along. That's right. That's right. The small idea can take a life of its own. It could, could stay on the path that you originally thought it was going to be, but yep. often it diverts off into something entirely different than you even imagined. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, I would say out of the... Ten, well, the nine books that I've published and the one I'm working on now, it's like, that's not the story I thought I was going to write, but there you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now, you talked a little bit about the uh, Cooper's healing process and the healing power, and I know in the book you talk about you know, sort of the healing power of the human-canine bond that develops. Expand on that a little bit about how, how that actually happens, not only in the book, but in life in general. Well, I think it's, it's pretty well documented that there is some magic, and I'm going to use that word advisedly, that happens not with every single pet person and their animal. I don't think that that happens with everybody. But I think that if you're with your animal and you are uh, open to just being persuaded that this animal is, you know, is concerned with you as well, then I I think the bond is there. I really do. I mean, there are certainly dogs that are, are not interested in, in bonding with their human beings. Most of them are. And I love looking at, you know, people's stories on Facebook and talking to, you know, I mean, particularly I think there's a certain, I don't know, subset of humanity that is uh, open to this kind of a thing. And I think they tend to be people who have difficulty with other attachments and their dogs are their lives. And that's not a bad thing. That That's companionship. That's somebody to care about. That is someone who cares about you. And it's, it's just a, a lovely thing. And I, someone asked me the other night at uh, the book launch about horses and why wouldn't I write about, you know, the bond between people mm-hmm. and horses, which is something that I, I have. I have, a, I have a horse and have had horses and, and all of that. And I laughed and I said, well, horses are great, but they just don't love you. And, and, and <laughs> the person who asked the question looked at me, she said, mine does. And I'm like, yeah, but it's different. It's different. You know, my dog is sitting with me on, on my couch and, you know, she, you know, maybe she's not saying, oh, are you okay? But she's like, I'm going to make you laugh. And my horse is like, is it time for feeding? <laughs> Take that saddle off. It's time for my feed. <laughs> Uh, well, now, now, Susan, you just got to get a big old couch and take it out to the barn and have a sitting <laughs> session. That's what it is. I, I thought of that. There's, uh, yeah, I'm not going to do that. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea, but all right. Don't blame me if the horse isn't bonding with you the way you should. But okay. <laughs> well, it's a different. It's a different, particularly because horses tend to go person to person to person. It's rare that a horse comes into your life at, as a two year old and you keep it until they're forty. Most horses, and certainly the ones I've had, have come to me 
you know, after they've been through a few owners. So why should they bond? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting, and I think it's. Uh, I think there is a great bond between uh, people and all animals, whatever animal mm-hmm. they have in their life. There's a reason for the animal to be there, and yeah. and there is that bond. And I've always thought it was fascinating with horses, in particular, the fact that you're right. You know, they go through a lot of owners, and uh, I always have a hard time with that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would tend to want to. This is my horse, and it's going to be my horse unless I leave this world before they do. Right. <laughs> well, that's why I keep paying for. The one I don't use, and <laughs> it's just a different dynamic. It really is, and, and absolutely, I mean, horse people. And I'm I'm going to stick my neck out here and say mostly horse women really do bond with their animals, and and I certainly have with with Maggie. But it, it's a different kind. It's a different level. No, I, I agree with you totally. I mean, your dog is there with you all the time. They right. t- choose to be there, whether you want them there or not. That usually exactly. when you're on the phone and you're busy, they're right there. Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. I've got the door shut. She can't get in. But, you know, sure, my dog follows me around. I go to my office, and she gets into her bed, and she stays there until 1130, and then she gets up, and she starts hitting me with her nose or her paw, and she says, it's time to go for a walk. And then after lunch, you know, we have reading time or whatever, and she goes to her bed. And, I mean, it's just, it's a routine. She Mm -hmm. wants that routine. She is very particular about her routine, and at certain hour of the evening, she wants my husband and I to go downstairs to the TV room and to get on the couch. (laughs) Because <laughs> it is time. It is time. And if we don't do that, she gets very upset and she starts doing things like going to the back door to ask to go out and then not going out. <laughs> <laughs> she, she's I very demanding. She's a terrier. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Well, I've got a couple <laughs> of schnauzers. Oh, yeah, I've got schnauzers, yeah. so I definitely know. Yeah, yeah we, we were in the office till uh, 545, and usually the cutoff time is 530. So oh, 530, yeah. everybody started getting antsy. Squeaky toys came out. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I can just see it. Wait a minute. If you're not doing what you're supposed to do, I'm going to do something else. That's right. I'm going (laughs) to let you know about it. All right. Well, I tell you what, we're going to take a quick break. We'll uh, come back and continue our conversation with author Susan Wilson right after these messages. You're listening to Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Amazing Pet Expos is coming to a city near you. Admission is always free and your pet is welcome. Shopping, adoptions, free nail trims, discounted shots and microchipping, agility, a pet costume contest, and much more. Plus, meet the guys from Animal Planet's hit TV series Tank and Pit Boss online at AmazingPetExpos.com. Bring your pets to the Pet Expo. Hi, I'm Dana Humphrey, also known as the Pet Lady. I travel from coast to coast to pet trade shows and consumer events to scout out what the hottest, hippest, and most unique pet products are on the planet, bringing you tips and tricks from top veterinarians, groomers, trainers on how to safely travel and live happily with your pets. The Pet Lady will be in a city near you, showing off the latest and greatest tech pet gadgets, cozy comforts, and fab gift ideas for man's and woman's best friend. You can learn more at thepetlady.net or connect socially and tweet with me at Pet Lady World. Coast to coast and around the world, it's All Behave with Arden Moore. Find out why cats and dogs do the things they do and get the latest buzz from wagging tongues and tails in Rin Tin Tinseltown. 
from famous pet experts and best-selling authors to television and movie stars, you'll get great tail-wagging pet tips and have a fur-flying fun time. All behave with America's pet edutainer, Arden Moore, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Here with uh, author uh, Susan Wilson. Talk to her to us a little bit about her latest book, The Dog Who Saved Me. Now, Susan, I want to talk to you a little bit about that writing process. As far as um, when you're putting together a new book and you're sitting down and, and putting, like you said, t- together the synopsis and putting together all the pieces of it. Writing the books now, like you have, I mean, it, is it become a little bit easier? Do you have a process that flows really easy, or sometimes is it challenging because you're trying to make you know, uh, the dog who saved me different from you know uh, one good dog or or the dog who danced? How does that process work for you? You know, it's a little bit of everything. Usually, the first draft, which takes me about six months. Is hard. It's really hard work, and it's what you know. It's the kind of work where I I have to sit in my seat and I have to do a thousand words because that's I figure it's my job, and it's the least I can do is to get a thousand words down. Now, as like last week, I'm working on a new book. I did a thousand words, and then I took out twenty five hundred. So <laughs> you know, you go back a little bit, but it's such a process of discovery because. Even after, well, I've been on this one since November, so I, I know the characters fairly well now. So. I just have to kind of bend them to my will, and that's, you know, sometimes you kind of hit the wall and you say, this isn't going where we wanted it to go. What's, what's going on? It's not going in a better direction, not going in a worse direction. So that's the hard part. When I get that first draft done, and I, and I will say that I always work with my agents and my editor about two-thirds of the way through, let them look at it, and we talk about it, and I depend on them for their insights and, and, and all of and their input. Not that they're going to say do this or do that, but they will throw out some questions to me, which are triggers, and it's great. Once that's all done, then the best part is going back through it and revising it and honing it. And and when I what I've discovered at the end of the first draft is what the actual theme is, what the point is, and then I can go back and kind of thread all of that back through. And that to me is the best fun. It really is. I mean, that's the hard part is, is the first draft. Absolutely. Right. Getting it then, done. Oh, killer. <laughs> yes. Now, the process as far as timing is concerned, obviously, is it a typically a six-month process to get the first draft done? year. about a year. I mean, the first draft should be between six and nine months. And when I say first draft, I mean, that, that may be three-quarters of a book, and then I go back. After that, it's, you know, once I've kind of gotten the blessing from my editor, then the revision part can be a month, two months. It's, it's not very long. So really the whole process is roughly roughly a year, maybe a little bit more than a year. And then, of course, it goes into, you know, goes to the editor who does the line edits, you know, right. the line editing and all that, and that's, you know, kind of pro forma. Yeah. And that's not too bad. So, you know, really from the time a book is complete, it's another six or eight months before it comes out. So it's, it's a long process, but it, it's a good one because it, it, we do have a routine going now. And, it, and so I know what to depend on, what's going to happen next. There's no mystery anymore. 
Right, right. Well, yeah. then, then going back to it, you know, you got your process down. It takes you a year to write it. It goes through the editing. It gets published. So this one, you know, the dog who saved me just released. But you said you've already started on your next one. So, oh yeah. Do you ever catch yourself saying, "Yeah, the uh, the pit bull on the cover." Whoop! Not uh, the uh, yellow lab on the cover. Is it hard? Do you have to have notes when you're going through interviews saying, "Okay, here, yeah, I, this is the book." Am I talking? Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I do. In fact, I, last Friday I had my you know the first book launch book talk, and you know I've been working on the other book for you know up until Wednesday, and I thought, you know, I need to stop for a minute here. Because that's where my focus is, is on the new book that nobody knows anything about. And I'm enthusiastic about that, but I really need to go back and look at this book. So I sat down and I actually thumbed through the book and you know, read some stuff out loud and kind of got my juices flowing again about the book, The Dog Who Saved Me, because my mind is wrapped up in the next book. And it's really kind of a bizarre... And people will say, are you writing? And I'm like, yeah. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, I got one out. <laughs> oh, gee, I've forgotten. We just had a book. Uh, <laughs> That's right. You know, yeah. Because it's been six months or more since, you know, we got that between covers and I knew it was coming out and, you know, we sat on it, so... What is I always thought find it fascinating. I mean, most everything I write is nonfiction, so it's part of the you know the work I do with animals, etc. So it's part of I you know I, I deal with these things on a daily basis. So I should yeah. if I'm if I know what I'm talking about, I <laughs> should have the answers. But there are things that you know I put in an article or put in a book that I have to think about for a second, thinking, did I actually add that one to this book or was that? Oh. Other yeah. and so I'm like you. I have to sort of do you know prep work and reread what I've written and make sure I understand exactly what I'm talking about. For yeah, and you're probably putting out a lot of words in a, a variety of places, and you've got to kind of keep track of all that. Yeah, it is telling the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I have to admit, the other day, that somebody, nonfiction stuff hard. <laughs> that's right. You got to make sure you're accurate on that stuff. But uh, yeah, somebody the other day, um, an article of mine got posted, and somebody on Facebook grabbed it and sent it to me and said, "Congratulations." Well, it was something I, I had written many, many months ago, oh. and uh, I was like, "Oh yeah, thank you. I, I kind of wow. remember this now." So that's, that's good. I guess you know if, if I'm keeping busy, so that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's <laughs> that a is very good thing. Especially getting reposted. Always a good thing. Always a good thing. I like it. <laughs> now, Susan, when uh, everybody go out and pick up a copy of The Dog Who Saved Me, and then when they read this book, what do you hope they walk away with? What's the? Is there a key message or uh, something you would hope that they feel good about or what have you? I think my key message is always that when a person put, shuts the book, you know, final page says, wow, I really like that because the character's were believable and the situations were real and it touched my emotions and that's all I need that's all I need and that they really I'm not teaching lessons but I, I hope that people say you know what this town drunk who reformed himself you know I kind of know somebody like that I, I could maybe be nicer that kind of thing yeah yeah um, you know these are not moral stories they're just human human stories really um, I mean the dogs are always integral to the story but at heart they are all about human beings and their relationships with each other. Yeah, absolutely. I applaud you. You do a great job with getting that across. You know, it's a nice flowing, your your work that you do, and particularly in this book, you know, The Dog Who Saved Me. It flows nicely. It's a nice story. It's one where when I'm done with that last page, I'm not wishing I had those hours or days back in my life. <laughs> so that's good news. That's always a high praise indeed. Well, that wasn't a waste of time. <laughs> exactly. That's what I went, you know, next endorsement, call me. I'll give you that one. And <laughs> that wasn't a total waste of time. No. But, um, 
But, you know, it is those lessons, those life lessons. Yeah. And, and being a, an animal lover and a dog lover, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I, you know, I glean little things from it. And I do, like you said, you know, reflect on people that I know that have uh, challenges and even mm-hmm. often had the challenges that are mentioned with the characters in the book, yeah. you know, and it sort of gets you a little bit a new perspective on it or, or refreshes your perspective mm-hmm. on it. And it maybe makes your heart a little bit more kinder. So, uh, you know, yeah. big kudos for that. for that a little bit anyway. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. We can always use a little bit more uh, refresher on keeping a kind heart, I think is the key. Mm-hmm. Well, Susan, where can people find out more about what you've got going on, your events, and picking up a copy of the book, uh, The Dog Who Saved Me? Well, I'm on Facebook. Just look up Susan Wilson Author. I think that's the best way to find it. There's so many of us Susan Wilsons. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're a common lot. Uh, and then also Susan Wilson Writes is my website, so www.susanwilsonwrites, and that will bring you to events and thoughts and things like that, so. There's actually Twitter, too, but I'm not entirely sure how that works. <laughs> I think, yeah, most of us don't. But in any case, go, uh, yeah, go uh, follow uh, Susan on Twitter. Uh, check her out on Facebook, Susan Wilson Author, and obviously go to her website, SusanWilsonWrites.com. If there's an event in your area, definitely uh, definitely go meet her in person and get you a nice signed copy of the book. And if not, listen to this show and other shows and find out more about what she's got going on. But great job with us, Susan. Everybody pick up a copy of the dog who saved me uh it's going to be a great read for you and uh, big kudos another another great success for you well thank you tim and i i really appreciate your having me on it's just terrific i enjoy it so much i love our conversations and uh and i, I love looking at your writing so let's you know we'll keep at it here there you go we'll keep paddling all along right. thanks so much susan congratulations we'll talk to you again real soon All right. Thanks so much, Tim. Well, uh, we're coming to the end of the show today. I just want to thank everybody for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I'd also like to thank our sponsors and producers for making this show possible. To find out more about me, Tim Link, and the other guests I've interviewed on the Animal Rights Show, you can go to PetLifeRadio.com, click on the Animal Rights icon, and download those episodes and listen to all the great interviews. You know, while you're there, make sure you uh, check out all the other wonderful shows and hosts and everything on Pet Life Radio. That's PetLifeRadio.com. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for this show, please email me. You can email me at Tim at PetLifeRadio.com. It's Tim at PetLifeRadio.com, and I'll be glad to answer your questions, entertain your comments, and bring on the people you want to hear from most. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Share it in a blog, article, or in a book. And who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.